Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Uh, I'm excited to be here with you today again. Uh, as we said, I, th- I believe it's third time because I've been doing this now for three years, and um, so far you're the only one who books me. So um, this is great. It's not true. It's not true, uh, sort of. But uh, I, I am really excited to be here. I, I love coming to this church. One, because I, I love you, the people. Um, you've always been so kind to me. Um, just always for the service and grateful for for what you do and uh, and and how you operate as a church. But but truthfully, if I'm just gonna be honest right now, that the real reason I love coming here is because I love your pastor. And I say it every time, but I really do. I think he is a fantastic person. Yeah. Um, th- there are people that I've known throughout my life that, uh, you know, that they go through things and they, 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 they kind of change, they, they, they mature, and they sometimes get more immature, and, and things happen in life, but, but I'll say this, that your pastor has been a person of consistency as long as I've known him. He's always been a person who's been honest with me, honest with the people around him. Uh, he's been a person who's been passionate about God, but about people, also people encountering God. And I've always admired him, and I've watched him through the uh, sad times, and I've seen him through the good times, and I've seen a person of consistency. And so let me say this. If you are a guest today, please, please hear me. I'm not just saying this because I'm here from this pulpit, but I, I really do believe that if you're looking for a church you found a very, very good church because you can trust the leadership of this church. So thank you, Pastor John, for having me again. Thank you, congregation, for if you heard that I was coming, that you still came this morning. I appreciate that. Um, if you, I've already said it now to the guests, if you're, if you're here, to make this your home church, it'd be a great op- option for you. Uh, but let me just say this to those of you who have been here uh, for a long time and are, are wondering, you know, which want to see God do some incredible things. I, I have the, the very, very, very good option for you to kind of put those things in motion. Come tonight. Be a part of your prayer service. Uh, I used to say this when I was younger, when I was a teenager in my, in my church, uh, we had two services, not because we were a big church, but because you used to have Sunday night services. And so we'd go in the morning, and then we'd have a service at night, and usually uh, I'd try and fall asleep during the day so my parents couldn't bring me to church at night and think, no, I'm too tired, I can't go. Uh, but I realized as I got older about this, and this is just me, if you don't, if this is, like, you know, kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, that's awesome. Uh, but uh, it's this, is I believe that Sunday mornings are for reputation. That we come here oftentimes, now not everybody, but we come here because we have to because it's Sunday. I should be here because it's Sunday morning. I, I should go to church. I have to show up and do my duty as a, as, a, as a Christian and be there. And I always believe this, that Sunday night service was about visitation. Because people who are just a little bit more passionate, just a little bit more excited, just a little bit more desperate show up because they know that on a Sunday night God shows up. Because it's not about reputation anymore, it's about desperation. It's about, I need him. I need him to move. I need him to do something. So if that makes you uncomfortable, I, I do not apologize uh, I, I, a little bit. But, but, uh, but I really do hope you come and be a part of that. And, and, and please hear me. Your pastor's not just trying to give you something else to do tonight. He truly does believe that this is what God wants your church to do because your church is called to be salt and light. And it starts with God speaking to your heart in moments like this, not as individuals, but as a church body, as a body of believers. And as you can come together as a body of believers and catch what God wants to do in your heart, this city stands no chance with what God wants to do in it. And so I believe that if, if you're serious about God, you'll show up tonight and want to be a part of what God is doing. Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 21 is where I'll be reading. But let me just give you a very, very uh, quick snapshot of what I'm up to these days. Um, I've, as you know, I've been traveling and speaking, and, and uh, God's opened up doors. Last year I was in Newfoundland. I was back there again just a couple of weekends ago. And so God's opening up more spots in Canada for me to go to. But one of the cool things that has happened for me is that... That God's been opening up um, some, some avenues to some schools, which is really what I'm passionate about is getting to some of our high schools, and that's why I'm a missionary to this country, is a missionary to our high schools. And so in January, I went and spoke at a Bell Let's Talk event in Calgary and talked about our story, and I'm passionate about stories, your story, my story, the story of God. I'm passionate about those things. Now, please understand that when you present in those kind of arenas or those kind of theaters or those kind of schools, you can't just proclaim the name of God. And so you come... 
uh, to those audiences with a veil approach, basically. That you know that God comes with you, and the words that you speak, you pray and believe that God will speak life anyways through them. Even though you didn't mention his name, you still brought him with you. And so I had an opportunity to share about your story and the value of your story. And from that, it's opened up some avenues. And, and I had a teacher, the teacher from the school that I graduated from, say to me these words. She goes, Adam, I want you to come and speak at our school. I said, that's a great idea. And so she, she said, I'm going to talk to our principal and get you to our school. I said, thank you so much, Ms. Small. Please keep in mind, she is not a Christian. She does not believe what I believe, but she's been exposed to what I believe. And she's had the impact of what I believe happen in her life. And so I'm still believing years later now that God would change her life. And, and it's been really cool. But she she said to me this, she goes, Adam, you know what we need? We need you to actually work on our school campus. I said, what do you mean? She said, we need someone like you who can sit down with students on an everyday basis and just talk to them about life. We need someone like you who can come into our school and sit down with students and listen to them talk about what they're going through because they need hope in this life. This is not a Christian. And she's gone to her principal and said, Adam, I have an interview for you whenever you want it to come and be a part of our school. And I said, well, I don't plan on moving. Uh, And I said, is there a way we can do this? And so we're just talking out details right now. But they actually want me to be a campus pastor at a public high school in the province of Quebec. And so, yeah. So I'm pretty excited about what God's doing there. And then on the side, I work for a a charity called Their Opportunity. Very much promotion there. Uh, Their Opportunity helps put uh, underprivileged kids or at-risk youth into sports and recreation. We help subsidize the cost um, for families who might not be able to afford it. And uh, and we've seen some pretty pretty incredible things where, where, you know, through this this charity, it's a Canadian charity, we've seen people um, have an opportunity to grow and to develop. And and with our charity, uh, we, we help a kid get into sports or recreation, they're required to give an hour, at least an hour of community service back um, to their community. So we're not just getting kids into sports, we're making better communities. And uh, we're excited about, about those opportunities. And so think of us, uh, their opportunity, our head office is in Oshawa, so not very far from you. And, uh, and this summer I'm headed to um, Utah to speak, I'm headed to Massachusetts to speak, so God's opened up some doors in the States, which I'm really excited about. So please pray for me and my family, my family of four kids. Yes, I said four. Um, there is a great uh, comedian who said this, what's it like to have four kids? Pretend you're drowning and someone throws you a baby. And, uh, and that's, really, that's really what it's like. Um, but uh, we're surviving. And some, for some reason, we're adding a dog this week. And so we just thought, why not make it more challenging? Okay. And uh, so anyways, Matthew chapter 5. Oh, sorry. Sorry. If I said Matthew, I apologize. Mark chapter 5. I apologize if I said Matthew. Matthew is not what I'm preaching from. Mark chapter 5, uh, verse 21. This morning's message, I was going to call Desperate Faith Lives, but it sounded like Desperate Housewives. And so i uh, just going with desperate faith, okay? So Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 21. I have a feeling I'm going to be saying Matthew a lot today. But it says this, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him. And he was beside the sea. And he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I, just, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see what he had, who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now here's where things take a little bit of a turn. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. 
And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for who you are, the truth that your word speaks. I pray that in these next few moments, your truth will become application for our heart. Lord, we are not here for just information or a good talk, but God, we are here for your presence. We are here for your word. We are here for your truth. And I pray that your truth this morning will set us free that your truth this morning will bring healing, that your truth this morning will equip us, that your truth this morning shall, shall bring answers to questions we've had. God, this morning, would your truth reign in this place? Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your greatness. And God, this is not just some story from an old time ago, but God, these stories are truth, and we stand in amazement to the things that you have done, and we believe that you can still do those things today. Lord, we love you, and we need you. In your name we pray, amen. Desperate faith. I, as you heard, I have four kids, and I've talked um, a lot about them over, over the times that I've been here, and you've heard um, different stories and humorous ones, and, and we have our nine-year-old turning 10 in September, we have our seven-year-old turning eight in September, and we have our four-year-old turning five next month, and we have our one-year-old turning two in August. Um, so life is happy, and uh, we are really, really good. But um, with all of the chaos that happens, um, I always say this, that life is really, really good. We just asked for prayer for one of our kids. Um, she is um, a blonde-haired, blue-eyed bombshell who um, knows no limits to her madness. And uh, she, uh, she has, a, I don't know if I said this last time, but she has a stealing problem right now. And uh, we're just praying for her. Like, literally, she steals things from stores. And uh, we come back to the car and we ask her uh, where she got that. She says, I stole it, so she's honest. And then uh, we, we don't really help as parents because we tell her that she's wrong, but then we don't bring it back. We just drive the car and go home. But, but um, I, always, I always say that I don't blame her because I stole her mom's heart. And uh, so she learned from me. Um, sorry, that was cheesy, but I liked it. And so, um, but she just recently before Easter, this is a true story. She was with my wife at the store, Michael's. I don't know why anybody goes there. Sorry if you like it. But uh, she walks into Michael's and she found one of those squishy eggs. And my wife never noticed this, but the entire time she clued in after that she walked around the store, she had the egg inside her toque and she walked around with the egg inside her toque until she got in the car and she pulled it out and she had it there hiding in her hat. And so we disciplined her, kept the toy, but we disciplined her and uh, um, and she just does things that she asks us. She goes, are you going to pat me down? Because we actually pat our daughter down when we leave stores. Like, hey, put your arms and legs down. And we just pat her down like, all right, you're good to go. And, uh, but I'm pretty sure she's hiding in her, in her brother's clothes now. Uh, just that's my assumption. She has a, a mule that she just sends across the, the security line for her. But, but that's, that's, that's what we have with our blonde hair, blue-eyed kid. But here's the other thing. Um, she knows how to survive in places where kids should not really have these kind of tactics. She operates out of desperation. She operates out of this, this idea that if I can do this, if I can go to extreme lengths to make this happen, then maybe, just maybe, I'll get out of the situation. Evidence number one is bedtime. She hates bedtime. We tell her to go to bed. And from a young age, she's always avoided sleep. Um, I believe she doesn't sleep. I believe she plots her other uh, things while we sleep. Um, but, but when she was young, she did not sleep. And, and she would stay up all day, not have any naps as a kid. She would not nap. And then uh, once a month, true story, once a month, she would fall asleep at around 4 in the afternoon and sleep until the next morning. And then she was recharged for another, uh, you know, 30 days. And, uh, and, and so this is how she operates. But, but now she's in school, so we need her to go to sleep. And she's the worst when she wakes up before she wakes up herself. Like the other day, we were at the mall, and I said, Addison, come on, get out of, get out of the car. She's like, I don't have my seatbelt. And I'm like, what? Just get, come on, get out of the car. She goes, I can't put it on. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then she realizes she's still asleep, and she starts crying out of the side of her mouth. She says, it's really weird, but, but she does these things. But at, at home, she operates out of desperation when it comes to bedtime. We're like, hey, it's bedtime. She's like, oh, I don't want to go to bed. You have to go to bed. And she's like, she goes upstairs. She gets her pajamas on. And she comes downstairs with, um, I don't know, I guess we'll call it her equipment. 
what she has, what she has started doing is she offers free spas in our house. She, my wife will be sitting on the couch, and, and she'll take her leg, and she's like, Mom, pull your legs out, and she'll take her leg, and she'll bend her leg all the way back. She goes, how does that feel? And my wife's like, well, it actually feels good. I'm like, she's just tricking you. She doesn't want to go to bed, but she starts stretching her legs, and, and, and she's like, Dad, how about you? Do you want a foot spa, a foot massage? And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess so, but it's bedtime. But then she pulls my socks off. She's ignoring me. I'm pretty sure she puts on some music and lights the fire. It's really weird. And she, she put, has my feet, and she starts putting the cream on my feet. And, and she's like, how does that feel? I'm like, it feels really good, actually. This is really strange that you are a four-year-old who knows how to give foot massages. And so she's going, and I'm like, okay, but Ashley, you got to go to bed. And then she all of a sudden starts to push in another spot. Where it's like, wow, that's amazing. Stay up all night. This is incredible. She operates out of this mode of desperation. Like, I will do whatever it takes to not go to bed. And we're just like, this is incredible. Like, this is amazing. I'm like, Rach, does she ever have to go to sleep? Because she can do this all night long. This is great. And so the next day when she's cranky and we're like, why did we let her stay up? That's it. You're going to bed tonight. And it's bedtime. Can you go to bed? She goes, hang on. I'll be right back. Comes down with her cream. Comes down with her towels. She goes, okay, don't tell mommy that I'm doing this for you. I'm like, I won't. I don't want you to share. That's amazing. But she operates out of this mode of desperation where she does whatever it takes to get out of going to bed. That she thinks, if I can just do something to distract them, something that, that, that would allow them to say, okay, fine, stay up a little longer, she will do whatever it takes. In our story this morning, we have these two individuals who are our main characters besides Jesus in this, in this text, and they operate out of desperate faith. And I believe for us as believers, if you haven't yet, you will, or maybe you are currently, you are now operating with desperate faith. In this story, we have Jesus who's come back across the water with his disciples, with his followers, and the moment he gets off the boat, he is surrounded by people. Because that's just what happens in Jesus' life. Wherever he goes, there are people who want to be around him. Why? Because Jesus, there's something about him that, one, changes lives, but is so intriguing to those who don't know him. And they want to be around him as close as they can. You look through stories, every time Jesus shows up somewhere, crowds begin to follow where he, to the point where he has to go and find spots to hide so he could be alone. So he can find some moments to break bread with his disciples. So he can find some moments to be with God by himself. He, he has to get away from the crowds because the crowd wants to be with him. And it made me realize this, that for us as believers, you want to be able to lead people to Christ. The biggest thing for you to do is to put Jesus on display. Is to put him on display in your life because you yourself as a Christian cannot save people. You as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter how awesome you are, no matter how faithful you are, even if you go tonight at 6.30 to prayer, please hear me. You do not have the power to change lives, but the Savior that we have in our life does. And we are told that if we elevate him, he will draw all men unto him. He has the power. I promise you, you put him on display and people will start coming around. I, I didn't say this at the beginning, but I've, I've recently started a podcast. This is not self-promotion. You don't have to go listen to it. But if you want to, I think it's pretty good. But, but it's called Jilly Talks, and, and, and the whole purpose of this thing is about sharing stories. Now, I, I want to say this. It's not a Christian podcast, but I do interview Christians. I am a Christian, but it's not a Christian podcast. But from this, uh, all I'm doing is sharing stories. And the first few individuals on this episode, on, on this podcast, they have been Christians. And they talked about what God has done in their life. And I have people from my past showing up on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and saying, can I talk to you? Can I, can I, can I communicate some things with you? And, and I had this one friend who I brought to church, and I've shared about him before at this church. And he wrote to me not that long ago, and he says to me, Adam, I goes, can I just tell you something? If ever you come back home to preach somewhere, I want to come hear you speak. And I'm like, really? Now, keep in mind, years ago, year 2000, I brought him to a youth night at a church called Evangel, and I believe with all my heart he accepted the Lord that night. But when I brought him home, he said, don't tell anybody about this. And I talked to him this one time, and he said, I said, John, that would be amazing. And he said to me, he goes, Adam, I don't tell anybody this, but for 19 years I've been praying. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. 
And he's curious, he's interested, and he's coming to me and saying, Adam, can we talk? Can we have a conversation? And I had this one individual, he writes to me, and he said, Adam, I think it's great you're going to do a podcast. And I knew him in high school. I haven't talked to him since high school. And he says to me, he goes, Adam, can I help you in any way? I'm like, well, I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just, i got to find some equipment. He goes, well, um, you know, maybe I can give you some suggestions. I'm like, well, what have you been up to? He goes, well, I just finished the movie X-Men. And I'm like, well, stop, what? And he goes, yeah, I just, I just uh, worked on the movie X-Men. I'm like, in what way? He goes, I do all the special effects. I'm like, that's cool. And now he's like, Adam, you were always a nice guy for me. Let me help you. And so now he's trying to give me advice and tips on, on what to get and how to do this and how to do that. And, and all what I believe is just putting stories of what God has done on display and people are showing up saying, tell me more. I need to know. And I believe with all my heart that you as a believer put on display Jesus, the God that you love, the God that you serve. Put him on display in your life, which means live as he wants you to live. Be holy for he is holy. And as you live holy, separate from the crowd, the crowd will start to follow you. But it has nothing to do with you but everything to do with him. So Jesus is surrounded by this crowd. And in a few moments into the, our story, we find this religious leader from the synagogue by the name of Jairus. He shows up and he, it says that he falls at Jesus' feet and he says, Jesus, my daughter, she's 12 years old, she's sick and she's dying. I need you to come to my house so that you can lay your hands on her. Please, you have to follow me. And Jesus says, all right, I'm going to go with you. And he begins to walk with this man by the name of Jairus, a religious leader. And in the process of making his way to this person's house, there is another individual in the crowd who has other plans. The plans are for her because she needs Jesus. And she is kind of scoping out the territory, and we'll get into a little bit in just a second, but she's examining how she's going to do this, and she realizes, if I can just get to his clothes, I don't even need to get all the way in front of him and speak or have a conversation. If I can just get to his clothes, I know that I can be healed. Isn't it interesting? If I can just get to his clothes, please hear me. If you can just get around his presence, if you can just get around his presence, even if you're weak, if you're tired, if you're thirsty, whatever it is, if you can just get into his presence, your life can be forever changed. And she makes this plan and she finds herself going through the crowd as, as best as she can without being noticed. And there's a specific reason as to why she can't be noticed. And she makes her way to the hem of his garment and she grabs hold of it and she realizes that in a moment, she's healed. She's set free. Something nobody else has been able to do. The doctors could not do it. She is now healed. She's been set free. But now what she's done is she's brought attention on herself. Why? Because Jesus stops in his tracks. He's headed somewhere. He's going to someone else's house because a young girl needs him. But he stops. He turns. He says, somebody touch me. The disciples, as great as they are, they're like, well, Jesus, look around. Everybody is touching you. And this is what he says. No, no, this is different. This person touched me with purpose. There's something about our purpose that when we go after him with purpose, with passion and enthusiasm, yes, but with purpose. And we go to him with our need. And he knows our need, but we go to him with our need, with that purpose. I promise you, as you go to him with purpose, it grabs his attention. Is his eye always on you? Yes. Does he ever leave you or forsake you? No, he does not. But please hear me. When you go after him with purpose, it gathers his attention and he's fixated on you. He will stop where he's headed because he's now fixated on the person who's grabbed him with purpose. I believe your service tonight, 630, is about purpose. There's purpose attached to this meeting. It's not about reputation. It's about visitation with him because when you encounter him as a body of believers, I promise you with purpose, he'll begin to unfold plans. He'll begin to unfold answers. And he will do things that you never thought were possible when you gather together with purpose. And so this morning, as I said, I want to talk about desperate faith. You see, here's what I've learned about desperate faith. Desperate faith begins with humility. Desperate faith begins with humility. What I've learned about humility is this. Is, it's that, it's that, that idea of, of realizing that you can't do it. And saying to somebody, I need you to help me. 
Now, I'm a pretty um, confident person. I, I, I like to think so. I, I like to think I can do things. And, and, and when my wife tells me that she wants to do something instead of me, I usually have a hard time with that. And, and, and she accuses me of not being good at cleaning. And I'm probably not. Uh, I, I'm what she would call slow at cleaning. And so I, I just take my time. I watch sports while cleaning. I do other things while cleaning. I take breaks while cleaning. But I think it gets done. And she'll tell me, you don't do a good job. I'm like, yes, I do. I clean the house. She goes, no, you didn't do it properly. It wasn't a deep clean. I hate that word, a deep clean. And I said, what is a deep clean? It's clean or it's not clean. No, it's a deep clean. I said, well, I've done most of the clean. You could do the deep part. And she says, no, when you don't do all of it, you make more work for me. I'm like, how? Mathematically, that does not make sense. I've done this. Now you only have this, so it's pretty good. She's like, no, you made more work for me. I'm like, I have no idea how to be a husband. So this is great. But one of the things, and I, if this is being recorded, we just can't send this to her but, uh, or my father-in-law, but one of the things that she likes to do is call my father-in-law to ask him for advice, which I don't think we need. I mean, what does he know four hours down the highway? He doesn't know what he's talking about. I hate phones today because I take pictures and she can send it to them. And it's like, wow, he didn't clean the car properly. Well, thanks. Appreciate it. Good boost of confidence. And, and, and so we had an issue with our grass over the winter when the snow melted finally just yesterday. And so uh, there's it's all this grass doesn't look like it's supposed to look. And so I'm like, I have no idea what to do with grass. Like, I, I, I don't know anything about it. LAUGHTER Especially in Canada. I don't know. Anyways, but that's besides the point. But I don't know how to do anything with it. And so I'm just like, hmm, what can I do here? And so she, what does she do? Um, I talked to my dad. Why did you do that? Why did you talk to your dad? Well, because he used to do landscaping. I'm like, I don't care. I am going to do landscaping. She goes, you don't even know how to spell landscaping. That's besides the point. I will do this. I will find out. It's okay if I ask somebody a question, but she cannot go over my head. Not that I'm above her, but anyways, that just sounded wrong. But over my head to her, her dad, my father-in-law say, Dad, Adam needs your help. I do not need his help. I do, but I don't need his help. But there always comes that moment where I finally have to pick up the phone myself, not call because that's even more humiliating, but text message and say, um, what do I do? Well, Adam, here's what I suggest. And I'm like, well, that, yeah, I knew that. I just wanted to just get a second opinion. That's what I really wanted. But it's that moment of saying, I do not know how to do this. The only way I will get help is first coming to the point of humility where I can admit that I am not capable of doing this. That's why scripture tells us in the Old Testament that it says first that we are to humble ourselves. And then it says pray. Because we will never pray until we realize that we can't do it on our own. If we think, I can do this, I can manage on my own, I know how this works, then we will never see any reason to actually go to him for help. So he says, humble yourselves, pray, and seek my face. So we are called to humble ourselves, to bring about that humility and that desperate faith. It begins with humility. We see Jairus, this religious leader. A person of, of character, a stand-up person who's, who's looked at as in high esteem and, and, and just has a reputation about him. And what does he do when he shows up on the scene? One, he is admitting that he needs help from Jesus because without Jesus, the healing can't take place. He's let him know, look, I cannot actually do this. But not only that, he, it says he actually goes on his knees and falls at Jesus' feet and says, I need you, I need your help. He brings himself to a low place. He brings himself down in humility before Jesus and says, Jesus, I need you. Can you please help? See, there's faith, and we have faith in God, and, I, and, and we, we, we're faith-filled believers, and, I, and, I, and I'm all for that, and I believe that with all my heart. But, but there's that, that other part to our life, our faith life, where sometimes there's a little bit more pressure. Because it's easy to, to ask God to pray, to bless the food. It's easy to ask God to, you know, provide for something. But when we start getting down to the deadline where you need the provision. Well, a whole other faith takes, kicks in. It's a desperate faith because we know that come Friday, if he hasn't answered, I might have to do things my own way. And we start doing everything to get God's attention. We'll pray longer. We'll read our Bible more. We'll seek his faith. We'll go to 630 prayer nights on Sunday nights because we're desperate. Desperation will cause you to do things that you never did before. 
And this man falls before you. Could you imagine the crowd that's sitting there who knows who Jairus is? And some of them are probably, uh, they probably attend his synagogue. Their religious leader is showing up in front of Jesus, bowing before him, acknowledging that he's a person of authority, saying, I need you, my daughter's sick. I even wonder if any of them even knew his daughter was sick. Because sometimes as religious leaders, we like to keep our life private and don't want anybody to know what's happening. And it's just, you know, we try and shelter ourselves. And it's why I really believe that our story has power because it lets people in, lets people know how they can pray, lets people know how they can support and encourage. And that's what we use information for. We don't use it for anything else, to harm people, to criticize people, to take people down. We should pray for this person. Why? Oh, let me tell you why. Because they did this, 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 and this. No, no. We, we find out information so that we can encourage and be the church to support and lift up and build up. That's the point of it. Our stories need to be told for that reason, to let people in. So he shows up, and who knows if they even knew what was going on, and all of a sudden they see their religious leader at the feet of Jesus. A person that they're told is in opposition to them. And he's saying, I need you. But then we have this other lady. And I don't know if she saw when Jairus showed up. Maybe her plan was to go before Jairus said anything. I thought, this is the right time. I'm going to go and make my presence known now. And then Jairus shows up and she kind of steps back a second and, and pays attention to the conversation. And she hears Jairus say, my daughter needs you. And I wonder if there was a moment where she says to herself, well, I, I don't, should I, should I do this? I, I don't know. But it says that she said to herself, if I can just touch his garments. And she makes her way through the crowd, not just standing, standing tall, but she gets down low. Again, another posture similar to Jairus where she gets down low. And I learned this at a very young age, at the, at young age, that the most high place is down at his feet. And she finds her way through the crowd as low as she can get just to get to the hem of his garment. She humbles herself. She said, I've tried everything else. I know we're not supposed to say this, but sometimes as believers, we've tried everything else but Jesus. And sometimes we even think to ourselves, I don't want to trouble him with this. I just tell you, no matter how big or how small your need, he tells us to bring it to him. He says, cast all your cares on me, for I care for you. So it doesn't matter what the size of your issue is or the size of your, your circumstance is. He wants it because he doesn't want you to carry that burden. The only thing that he ever really tells us to carry is our cross. And so she makes her way and she gets there after trying other options, other methods, and saying, experiencing even more pain going to doctors. And now she finally says, I cannot do this on my own strength. I need him. And she gets to Jesus, and we see that she was healed. Now, here's the other thing I've realized about faith or desperate faith is that desperate faith oftentimes breaks protocol. Desperate faith oftentimes breaks protocol. My son Nixon, just before Christmas, I think at the beginning of November, uh, of December or end of, of November, we were out to supper with my mom. And uh, she said, I, I got my, my kitchen renovated. Come see my kitchen. My mom doesn't live that far from us, and she had finally got it fixed. And so she said, come see it. And I, I didn't want to go. I, I say that because um, I felt like I had the Holy Spirit speaking to me. You'll find out in a moment just what I'm saying. I didn't want to go. I'm like, no, let's just go home. There's probably some kind of important hockey game like the Habs or whatever. And so I was like, I want to go home and, and, and watch Whatever, just do something else, then go see a kitchen. Like, yay, kitchen, awesome, that's good. <laughs> I didn't decorate my house, as you can tell. So, <sighs> so we go over to my mom's house, and we're show she's showing us the kitchen, and, and I'm really enthusiastic about it. I'm like, oh, it's amazing. You can cut things on there, and great, make food, it's awesome. And uh, my wife's like, oh, that's really nice. And all of a sudden, we hear a scream just three feet behind us. And my son, Nixon, one years old at the time, still is actually, but one year old, he, he had put his hands on our, the mom's gas fireplace, which she had left on, which usually she turns off when she knows the kids are coming over. But we were only going there for five minutes. Keep in mind, I didn't want to go in the first place, but it's besides the point. Nobody listened to my opinion. But he puts his hand on the fireplace and screams 
So I immediately go and run over and take his hands off of the fireplace, and his hands are now bubbled over. On both hands, both palms, both fingers, all his fingers are all bubbled over. And so what we do is we get Nixon, we leave the kids, other kids with my mom, we get into the car, and we drive to the hospital. Now, I need you to understand, as a parent, my kid has not stopped crying. He's in pain, and so I may or may not have gone over the speed limit. I may not have stopped properly at stop signs. I did stop at red lights, but I pray that they wouldn't exist on the way there. Why? Because as a parent, as a dad, my kid was hurting, and so I didn't care at that time about the law. I didn't care so much about stop signs. They became optional. I I didn't care about a, a 50 or an 80 speed limit. All I cared about was my kid getting help at the hospital. And he cried and he screamed and he cried and he screamed the whole time. And, and we went there and, and they, they had to burst the, the things open on his hands. And, and that screamed because as soon as the air was hitting his new skin, he was just freaking out. And so they bandaged it up. My favorite part is when he cried the entire time. They finally finished the last bandage. He's like, yay. That's what he did. Just yay. I'm like, you are my son. That's what you are. Actually, I would have fainted by that point, but, but he, he was just, okay. And so we had to keep going back for about a month, getting the, 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 the wraps changed, and, and they were worried about, you know, healing, but everything went well, and we're super excited about that, and we're thankful that God took care of that situation. But as I said, there's sometimes, there's some moments where we break protocol based off of desperation, that when we are just a little bit more desperate, rules begin to change. Would I have gotten a ticket? Maybe. Probably. Would the cops have stopped me? Yes. Would I have explained the story? Yes, I would have explained the story. This is my son. You can follow me if you like, but this is what happens to happen. We need to go get him to the hospital right now. Because for me, in that moment, my desperation mattered more than protocol. And for us as believers, there's going to be moments where desperation kicks in. A desperate moment of faith kicks in and protocol no longer matters. Where you are no longer matters. How you're feeling no longer matters. What others have said no longer matters. You cannot base it off of anything else other than your desperation for him. And Jairus shows up, as I said, he's a religious leader, and the religious leader wasn't supposed to like Jesus or even believe Jesus or trust Jesus or think he can do the things that he said or even put him on the same level as God. And yet Jairus, in his moment of desperation, where he says, my daughter is sick, she is dying, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm going to the one who I've been told can heal. Even if it goes against everything I'm told to believe, I'm going to him. And he shows up. And he says, Jesus, can you please come to my house? My daughter is sick and she's going to die unless you come. He breaks protocol for a religious leader, for a ruler in a synagogue. He breaks the protocol, but even more so is the woman who needs Jesus to touch her because she's been sick now for years and no doctor's been able to help her, no medicine has been able to cure her and she realizes this is probably my last chance. And for someone in her condition, she was considered unclean. She was considered unclean and being unclean in that situation meant that she was supposed to, one, stay away from everybody Two, if she wasn't going to stay away from everybody, at least announce that she was present and that she was unclean. So think about this woman who is now probably embarrassed and shy and nervous because she's tried and tried and tried and it's failed. And now she has to follow rules to get to somebody who has the ability to heal her. But she says, I cannot abide by protocol in this moment. I have to abide by desperation. And she begins to walk through, and I think she might have broken protocol here because there's no mention of her saying this, but, but the typical norm, if you were walking through the town and you were unclean, you would have had to announce it by saying, unclean, unclean, announcing your presence so that people had the option to move away from you and realize who you were, and maybe you had something that they could get and they're afraid and they don't want any kind of uncleanliness to come in contact with them. And so she would have to walk through saying, unclean. It's me, I'm here, it's me. I'm unclean. I wonder if she had to walk with covering her face so maybe anybody who might have known her condition wouldn't notice her. Had to cover up and she had to make her way through a crowd of people. And oh, by the way, she forgot the protocol about waiting her turn. She was told to wait. 
or so we, were, we would assume, because Jairus had Jesus' attention. Jairus is the one who got the Jesus first. She didn't. The protocol in life tells us, hey, wait in line. You ever had somebody pass you in line? You know, like you were looking at the candies right at the end of the grocery aisle, and you turn around, and somebody who's in front of you who wasn't in front of you anymore, oh, and by the way, they have more than 12 items. You develop a stare that you never had before. Like, you start calculating, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, 13, 13, unclean. She cannot be here in front of me. He cannot be carrying that basket. No, it's not. Any, everything inside of you, it's just, you know, my wife, she gets a little upset when I drive sometimes. I always tell her, you like to drive? She's like, no. I said, well, then stop complaining, please. And so we, we live in this new subdivision. People go through the stop sign all the time, and I don't like it, I, unless their kid is, you know, going to the hospital. But, but, she, but they weren't because they are were going home. And, and I just had enough. I had enough. And they, they did it. And I, I honked the horn, and I did what every good person did for their city. I followed him home. And... Uh, rolled her window down as we passed them as they got to their house. She's like, stop it, keep driving them. I can't, I'm a little upset right now. But, but, but that's the, the, how we feel when somebody kind of cuts us off or cuts in front of us or does something and they don't wait their turn. They don't wait till they're supposed to go. I know your pastor is very kind when, when people come to stop signs. If they're there before him and they say to him to go, he says, no, I'm gonna let them go. Do you not do that? Is that true? You told me that one time that he says, no, I will make sure that they go. No, go, go. That's how, that's how you properly drive. I'm Italian, I know how to drive properly. That's what, what it is. You told me that a, a long time ago, actually. But, but we, we feel we're supposed to wait our turn. And so now, Jairus, it's his turn, and yet she says, I can't announce that I'm here. I can't let anybody see my face. And I can't wait in line. I've been waiting in line for 12 years. I can't do it any longer. I, 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 can't, I can't abide by protocol. I have to operate in desperation. And faith rises up and she says, I'll make my way to at least the hem of his garment and then I'll get out of the way and then I'll let him do what he has to do. He doesn't even have to stop. If I can just get to the garment, I don't even have to stop him. But please hear me. Jesus is about relationship. And so even if you as a believer just think, I don't want to bother you, God. I just want to make my requests known. Please hear me. He wants more than just your request. He wants your heart. He wants your relationship. He wants everything with you. Please hear me, church. You were not, uh, salvation was not the original plan for your life. I know that might be like, wait, what theology is that? No, salvation came into play when sin came into the world, but the original intention was for relationship with God. Salvation had to happen so the original plan could take place. And so he's not just about a, a, a quick prayer request. He's about relationship. And so he senses somebody has touched him. And now that he's stopped the, the, the procession towards, towards Jairus' house, he stops because somebody touched me. Jesus, everybody is touching you. Nope, this is different. Could you imagine Jairus in this moment? Um, excuse me, daughter, sick, dying. We still got a little ways to go. Can we, can we get going? No, no, hang on a second. And it leads me to my, my, final, my final point, and that's this, is that desperation faith, it's a little bit of a caution, is you may not know, or you might not like how the plans unfold. You may put desperation on display. You think, ask, and you will receive. You think, I'm told that if I just abide, if I just do this and I just do that, but please hear me, when you put desperation on display, you sometimes will not like how the plans unfold because his plans are greater than your plans. Her plan was just to go and touch his garment, believe that I'll be healed, and leave, and nobody will even know that I showed up. Jairus' plan was just get to Jesus and bring him to my house. But he gets his garment touched. He goes, stop, somebody touched me. Jesus, everybody's touching. No, no, this is different. This is somebody who's operating out of desperation. I can't go any, for, any further until I know who it was that touched me. This girl who snuck her way into this crowd is now asked, being asked to reveal herself. 
She's now being told, could you make your presence known? We, we cannot move on. And I wanted her driver's like, can somebody say something? Please, somebody admit that you touched him so we can keep going to my house. Can somebody please say something? And she's counting the costs right now. I don't know, can I do this? I broke protocol. I, I wasn't supposed to do this. I didn't wait my turn. I, I, I didn't announce my presence. I, how, do, how does this work? I don't know. And, and, but... But here's the thing is she realized that when she touched the hem of his garment, she was changed. And now the situation has changed completely. She's not unclean. She's not unclean anymore. And all of a sudden when she realizes my life has changed, there's a confidence that takes place. Hear me, church, that as you venture out in faith and God reveals himself as true to who he says he is, it sparks a confidence in us. And it allows us to walk a little bit taller, a little bit straighter, a little bit more confidently. She stands up. She says, it was me. She says, I, I've been sick, and, and, and I just knew that if I could just touch your garment, I, I'd be healed. Because your faith has healed you. Go. Live your life. You don't have to suffer anymore. I am who I've said I am. I am who they say I am. I am that person. You've received your healing. You've received it, and it's your faith that has made you well. Yes, it was desperate faith, but your faith has made you well. There's still Jairus who's waiting for his turn. He's like, okay, that's great. And he's like, Jesus, can we please go? My daughter, she's sick. And all of a sudden, someone taps him on the shoulder, someone from his house, and he says, Jairus, could you leave him alone? Your daughter's dead. Don't even bother him anymore. Could you imagine that sinking feeling? The what if, what if that lady didn't stop him? What if the crowd didn't get in the way? What if this moment, what if he had just kept walking? He, she just touched his clothes. Like, who cares? Can we not just keep moving forward? It's my daughter that we're talking about. And now this. Sometimes desperation doesn't end up the way we want it to end. Plans don't go the way they're supposed to go. Can I just get somebody back to the keys or the guitar? It doesn't matter. And we're going to close in just a moment. And Jesus standing there, you've got to understand that faith is something that God loves. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. So even though the plans aren't going as planned, faith has impressed him. And he said, Jairus, ignore them. Let's go see your daughter. I wonder if the conversation on the way, if ever Jairus is like, Jesus, they said she's dead. Like, there was a couple of moments where, where Jesus looked at him and said, don't worry about it. Let's keep going. And then he gets there, and there's some people who are crying, they're wailing. Some of them may be hired on behalf of the family to cry for this person, and, and they're just wailing and wailing, and Jesus sees it, and he's like, what is this? He says, all right, everybody out. They're like, she's dead. He goes, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they begin to laugh at Jesus. And he says to Jairus, he goes, let's go. Everybody out, come in. Desperate faith gets the attention of our God. And even though protocol says something, even though the crowds say something, the God that we serve still can. Amen. That's why with Lazarus, when Lazarus died and he was laying in the grave, Jesus didn't come back for the third day. He came back for the fourth day. Why? Because history tells us that they believed that, that the spirit was still alive after three days. So the fourth day, he was officially really dead. Jesus, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, you can still do something. He goes, take me to the tomb. Take me to the girl's room. We know from the story, the girl comes back to life. And just like he said to the woman, he now sees the daughter. Like, hey, give her something to eat. She's got to live her life. Desperate faith put on display gets the attention of our God. I'm not, I'm not saying today that if you don't have desperate faith that God doesn't love you, he does. If you don't have any faith, God loves you. He loves you so much 
that he sent his son to die on a cross for your sins. God himself broke protocol. He sent his son to this earth so that you you and I could have relationship with him. Jesus operated in humility. So much so that he put a towel around his waist and began to wash the feet of his disciples. Even though he was God, even though he was fully God, he did not act or operate in that way. He operated with a servant's heart, with humility. He humbled himself before people and before his father. He said, God, if we can do this any other way, let's do it. But hey, I'm all in. I'm willing. Humbled himself allowed himself to go to a cross because there was desperation from our Father in heaven who is desperately in love with you and will do whatever it takes to have a relationship with you. He loves you. Your desperate faith is not a waste. Your desperate faith is not unseen, but it is seen It is heard. It is put on display. God loves your faith. God loves when you come after him. And the great thing about it is that after, when he answers you, please hear me, when he answers you, your story becomes a testimony. And your desperate faith turns into an incredible story. I want to be honest with you. We will face tough moments. We're promised that in scripture. If anybody tries to tell you a gospel that says, hey, accept Jesus, your life will be perfect. It's not true will face tough moments but we're okay because of who we have with us please hear me on this some of you may be sick in your body or maybe you know somebody who's sick and they're dying and they might not live another day if Jesus does not touch them if God's hand does not touch their life they may not live another moment And if that were to be the case, and I believe that God heals, and I believe he can heal and wants to heal and desires to heal, I believe that. But there are times, and I wish I could tell you why, I wish I could tell you why things happen. But I do know this, that whether it's here on earth or in eternity, we're promised our healing. So healing's coming no matter what. And we're just praying that God allows it to happen on this side of heaven. But if it doesn't, stay focused on him and we rejoice on the day that is coming where we experience our complete healing if you bow your heads this morning I just want to ask a very simple question I'm going to give the chance just to worship and pray but if you're here in this place today and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, and what I mean by that is you've never said, Jesus, would you come and live in my life? I know that you lived, I know that you died, and I know that you rose again so that I could have relationship with you here and for eternity. If you've never said, Jesus, come and live in my life, take away my sins, and today you would say, I want that relationship with Jesus. If you're in this place with nobody looking around, would you just lift your hand up high enough so I could see it? I'll wait about five seconds. You say, today, I want Jesus to come and live in my life. Thank you so much. You can put your hand back down. Anybody else in this place? Say, I need Jesus. Father, I thank you for that individual who put their hand up this morning. My prayer is that today they would tell somebody I made a decision to follow Jesus that there is no shame in doing so there was no shame in telling people but God and in fact there's a there's a rejoicing that takes place when when a, when somebody says yes to a relationship with you so God I pray that today would be a day of rejoicing that this church will celebrate that you are still changing lives in this place in this community so God we are thankful for that individual today who said yes to a relationship with you we thank you Lord Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.